I am deciding right now not to take it personally that 30 people stood up and walked out of the room just as I stood up to preach. Um, so a little wrestling, me and God right now, you know, um, but that's just the decision I'm making. Uh, no, I think that was a Sunday school class coming uh, to see uh, their friends get baptized. That was awesome. Uh, hey, church, my name's Ethan. I'm one of the ministers here and so glad that you are here with us today. Um, it's an exciting uh, season around here. Uh, first, before I get started, I want to say hi to our friends worshiping down in the CLC. Thank you. Uh, some of you know that as this room started to get full, we started to run out of room for guests, and so we got a crew worshiping down in the CLC. I will let you know, we do need more people to make that jump uh, so that we can keep having room. Um, we're starting to get tight in here again. If you want to be part of that team, they worship via... Um, closed caption TV, live stream thing. So they're listening to the sermon right now with you, kind of at the, it's a room at that end of the building. And we got plenty of room down there for more. So as we fill up here, it's important that some of us do that so we can keep welcoming guests up here. So thank you uh, to that CLC crew. Uh, it's a big time around here at FCC. Um, let's see what's going on. Uh, today is first things first. So if you're new around here, and you want to learn more about the church and more about Jesus, hang around 1245. We've got lunch, we've got child care, we've got an experience for you, so you can kind of get connected here at First Christian. Uh, next week, January 21st and 24th, we've got these vision nights. These are going to be really important events in the life of our church. We're talking about vision and strategy for the next really 50 years for our church about some important strategic transitions that we're getting ready to make. And we want you to be a part of that and to know what's happening. So that'll all be announced on the 21st and 24th. So make sure uh, that you come to one of those. Everybody in the church needs to be at one of those. And of course, we're in the middle of our January series, kind of kicking off a new year uh, with just this very simple concept that we need an old calendar for a new year. It's flowing out of this idea that I think a lot of us naturally know that our current calendars aren't working. A lot of us just look at the, the lives that we lead and we know that the schedules we keep and the rhythms of our life aren't in fact leading to health and wholeness, and goodness, and rest, and love, and trust. But in fact, we're, we're keeping schedules that lead us in places we don't want to go. And when you recognize that your calendar isn't working for you, it can be tempting to look for a new calendar, right? Some new system, some new strategy for how to organize your time to make it all work out. Um, but we think maybe we need to do the opposite. Instead of looking for a new calendar, we need to look for an old calendar, very simply asking the question, how would Jesus organize his time? How would Jesus organize a day or a week or a year or a life? How would Jesus organize his calendar and how, well, what can we learn from him? Last week, we looked at how Jesus organizes his day. And we said that Jesus' day was filled with daily disruptions dedicated to devotion. This is what we observed. We went back and read God's word and read the gospels that describe his life. And we just noticed that all the time he was interrupting his day to give God his undivided attention. Through scripture and prayer and solitude and silence, Jesus was always kind of stopping whatever was happening 
so he could focus on God. And we kind of said, maybe, maybe we could try it. Let's see, anybody here try to add some disruptions to their day last week? Anybody? Come on, a couple of you right here, you tried it. Somebody else, a couple of brave people. Somebody back there, did okay, like five, five of you tried it. All right, that was about what I was hoping for. That's, that, feels, that feels good. Um, maybe we'll do better this week, okay? Um, because that, remember, just remember, these, this series is, I remember I, I said very clearly, my goal wasn't that we would learn something about Jesus' day, but that we would be begin patterning our calendars after Jesus. So again, I would just say, if you didn't try it, try it this week. Interrupt. I had one person midweek last week uh, tell me they tried that transition thing. You know, we talked about how Jesus, in between every task, he pulled away to pray. I had somebody midweek just say that, you know, I tried that. Every time I changed what I was doing, I would just thank God for what had just been and pray over what was coming every time I changed tasks. And they said, Ethan, I was just amazed. I got to fill my day with prayer. Everything I did was just more organized around the love and wisdom of God. Just because that little, but it didn't even take any extra time. It just changed my whole day. I loved hearing that story. Maybe you want to try that. And today, we've got a, another piece of Jesus' old calendar for our new year. We're going to talk about how did Jesus organize his week? How did Jesus organize a week? And again, we're, we're in this situation where there are all kinds of modern tools that you could use, right? If you were to go to Amazon and Google how to organize a week, I bet you'd find 500 books by people who have written that they said, this is if you organize your week this way, you'll increase productivity or you'll increase outcomes or whatever. I remember when I was in my 20s, feeling like I just couldn't keep up with all the new assignments that were coming my way. I, I met with a guy about 40 years my senior, and we went to McDonald's. And, and my big question was, I can't figure out how to get stuff done. And so he responded by telling me how he organized his time and how he chunked it up in, in times for maximum productivity. And I don't know if it was a perfect strategy, but it is basically the one I've been using ever since then. I mean, it was like, okay, it worked, worked for him. It's, it's worked for me. And, and I could tell it to you today, but, but I won't um, because I didn't learn that strategy from Jesus. So if you want to know that strategy, you can ask me some other time. T today we're asking, what can we learn from Jesus about how he organized his week? We aren't looking for a new calendar. We're looking for an old calendar. And when it came to how Jesus organized his day, we had to sort of look through the Gospels and look at all these different examples to kind of piece it together. It's actually much easier to try to figure out how Jesus organized his week because in this case, we actually have a direct command from God about how we should organize our week. Some of you already knew that, but some of you might be a little, did you know that God, in the midst of all of God's other commands, you know, don't kill people, don't steal stuff, don't do fabric, like in the middle of all these other commands, God actually gave us a command about how we should organize our week. It's mentioned several places in the Bible. Here's just one example. Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it sacred, keeping it set apart, keeping it different, keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We get several examples of this command. Uh, when this command is given in Deuteronomy, the reason given there is he says, you know, six days you'll work and on the seventh you'll rest. He says, because remember... You used to be slaves in Egypt, and you never got to rest when you were slaves, but now you're free, and it's a demonstration of your freedom. You get to rest. And this, very simply, is the organizing rhythm God gives us for our week. Six days of work, a day of Sabbath. Six days of work, a day of worship. Six days of work, a day of rest. Six days of work, a day of rejoicing. This is the rhythm. Work and Sabbath. So when we're asking, how did Jesus organize his week? How does God call us to organize our week? The first thing we hear God say is, yay, work! I'm paraphrasing a tiny bit. That's not exactly what God said, but, but that's the idea. God, throughout God's word, God celebrates the goodness of work. Our culture sometimes imagines that the ideal life would be if you could get to a place where you were so wealthy and so powerful that you could descend into idleness, right? This would be the ideal life, right? Where you just sit back and other people bring you all your food and other people take care of you. In fact, even as I describe it, it sort of feels wonderful. Like, honestly, I think I have somehow this idea has gotten into my bones because that actually sounds really, really nice. But that idea isn't from God. God says, yay, work. Ephesians 2 says, God has work prepared for you to do. And it's good that God has work. God has good work prepared for you to do. And God has prepared you for that good work. Paul writes to the Thessalonian church. Got some people who, who took their Sabbath a little too seriously. And he writes to them and he says, hey, listen. We hear that some of you are idle and disruptive. You're not busy. You're busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never get tired doing what is good. Our culture idolizes idleness. And God says, six days you shall work. Never get tired doing good. Even in retirement, when a Christian retires, even that is not a call to leisure and consumption, but rather a new landscape of lessened responsibilities and greater freedom that allows even greater productivity. It's just a whole bunch of new stuff. Suddenly you're not having to work to make a dollar. You can just work to bless somebody or care for a neighbor or mentor somebody younger than you. Even retirement is an invitation for a Christian to a new kind of, new season of productive service. 
Six days you shall work. Now there is, of course, a paradox for how Christians think about work. We forget this paradox sometimes. I'm not trying to pick at anybody in particular, but I'm mainly talking to you. Um, We forget this paradox sometimes. Oh, I'm talking to me too. Yeah, that's right. I forgot. There were two of us I was talking to, you and me. Uh, We forget the paradox. The paradox of Christian work is that even that we are called to the goodness of the work, we recognize that no work we do will ever be finished unless God finishes it. I love Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Even when we do the work, when the work is done, that's an opportunity to praise God, not praise ourselves. It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for God gives to his beloved sleep. Isn't that an interesting paradox? Even in the goodness of our work, it is God who finishes the work that we do. It is God that we are trusting to accomplish that for which we labor. So even when we work, and let's say you work and you're successful and the work is done and everybody around you says, yay you, you remember to say, yay, God. God actually finished the work that my hands did. So the first thing we learn about how to organize our week is God says, yay, work. But God says that in a way that reminds us That God is the one who brings our work to fruition. God is the one who fulfills that for which we labor. And because of the power and providence of God at work, in our work, we can also hear God say that which he says next. And again, I'm paraphrasing. God says, yay, rest. This is the calendar God gives us. Six days you shall work. And on the seventh, you shall Sabbath. One day a week, God says, intentionally devoted, made sacred for God. Filled not with the regular rhythm of our labor, but filled with worship and rest and family and celebration and play and pardon and forgiveness and friendship. Fill the whole day with that which is holy. And Jesus brings this same command to us. Now, Jesus has an interesting relationship with the Sabbath. It's curious, if uh, we were to look at all the places in the gospel stories where Jesus interacts with the Sabbath, we would notice this odd little pattern. Jesus is nearly always breaking the rules related to the Sabbath. And he is upholding the value and the virtue of Sabbath keeping. Isn't that a funny little thing? 
in nearly every text you encounter, uh, we won't have time to read all of them, but in all, you go find them. Go, go look through the Gospels for where Jesus talks about the Sabbath. In almost every case, he's breaking the rules and he's upholding the value and importance of Sabbath keeping. Here are just a couple examples. Matthew chapter 12, verse 9. Jesus enters the synagogue. A man was there with a withered hand. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, now they think they've got him in a trap, Right? Because if he says, no, you can't heal on the Sabbath, well, then he's a jerk. But if he says, yes, you can heal on the Sabbath, that sounds a lot like work to me. And now he's breaking the law of God, right? So they think they've got him trapped. He responds, oh, come on. Again, that's not a direct translation, but that's what he meant. He said, come on. Which of you, if your sheep fell in a pit on the Sabbath wouldn't go grab the sheep and pull it out of the pit. You know you would, bunch of hypocrites. You wouldn't just leave your sheep in a pit on the Sabbath. How much more value is a man than a sheep? Of course, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. We're going to talk today about keeping Sabbath. And let me just say up front, please, don't be one of those people who's legalistic about Sabbath keeping, right? Like you get the irony of the thing you're legalistic about is rest, right? You get that, right? The thing that you're legalistic about, like you do it wrong and you do it wrong and God's mad at you because you're not good at, like if that, if, if the thing you're legalistic about is the ability to stand before God and just say, God, I trust you. God, I worship you. God, I rest in you. Don't be legalistic about the Sabbath. Sometimes a sheep falls in a pit. You know, there really are. Like you say, yeah, I'm going to work six days and rest one. And then sometimes on the day you pick for rest, there is an emergency at work. A sheep fell in a pit and somebody's got to go get the sheep out of the pit. I mean, come on, you know it. So don't be legalistic about it. Sometimes there's a chance to do good, right? And like, sorry, it's my Sabbath. I can't do, go do this really good thing that will bless lots of people and get my neighbor out of a jam. Sorry, it, it's the Sabbath. We'll have to reschedule. No. Paul makes it clear in his writing that we are not under the law of the Sabbath anymore. Again and again in his letters, he's like, don't talk to me about your special days. Please stop arguing about which day is more important than another. Don't fall into legalism with this. But also, in your zeal to avoid legalism... Don't miss out on the blessing of obedience. Because Jesus is very sure the Sabbath is good for you. Here's what he says in Mark chapter 2. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. His disciples walked along. They began to pick heads of grain. And let's be clear. In an agricultural context, they're harvesting wheat. And harvesting wheat is work. So there they are, working on the Sabbath. We caught them. And so the Pharisees say, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And again, we said, like every does every time, Jesus is breaking the Sabbath rules left and right. He answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? 
It was in the days of Abiathar, the high priest. He, with all his soldiers, they walked right into the temple and they ate the consecrated bread that the priests were supposed to eat. He even gave it to the rest of his army. It's bad. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. You see what Jesus does there, right? He breaks down our tendency to legalism and then invites us to obedience. He says, yeah, I'm not trying to catch somebody breaking the rules. I'm trying to let you know that the Sabbath was made as a gift for you. This plan that God has for your week, work six days and make the seventh day sacred to God, filled with worship and rest and celebration and play and pardon and family and forgiveness, fill it up with holy, beautiful things. That is God's gift to you. It is God's plan for you to bless you and make your life good. So here's my suggestion. If you want to get an old calendar for your new year, this would be my suggestion for you. Three things. Keep the Sabbath. Avoid legalism. Embrace obedience. Keep the Sabbath. Avoid legalism. Embrace obedience. In fact, let me just be clear, that little rhythm right there, that's a really healthy rhythm for anything the Bible teaches anywhere, like any moral command of God. Consider the command of God, avoid legalism, and then run toward obedience. This is just how Christians approach the law of God in general, and it applies to the Sabbath. So what do I mean when I say keep the Sabbath? Well, I think God's word calls you to a life where you set aside a day that is devoted to worship and rest and celebration and beauty and holiness and goodness and where you take a break from the ceaseless toil of human existence. I think that's the invitation of God's word. And so to say you're going to keep the Sabbath would be for you to have a plan to do that. To declare, I trust God so much, I'll take a day off from whatever the toil of your life is. You know, I'm going to establish a weekly rhythm of worship and rest, rest and sacredness and celebration. And I'm going to make that day a holy day. Not a day of idleness and foolishness and consumption and debauchery, but a day that is designed to be holy, it'll probably start with worship. For for a lot of us, Sunday is a great day to make your Sabbath. Begin with worship. Eat a good meal. Take a nap. Visit friends. Sit on a porch somewhere. If you don't have one, just go sit on your neighbor's porch. They won't mind. They'll be glad you're there. If you work with your hands... Then rest with your mind. Give your hands a break. 
But if you work with your mind, well, then maybe your Sabbath is going to be with your hands. You'll build a treehouse or mow the lawn. For some of you, mowing the lawn is the most restful thing you could do. Okay, great. Do that. To keep the Sabbath is to make a plan for a day to be holy and then keep it. Number two, though, we've got to avoid legalism. Okay? If later on you want to argue about days of the week, man, take it up with Paul, not me. Okay? Paul's super clear. He's got no time for arguing about days of the week. I don't argue about days of the week. I don't argue about if it should start in the evening or start in the morning. I, I, I don't argue about, you know, what happens if something comes up, you know, and, oh, I didn't get my Sabbath this week. I'll do Tuesday. No, no, nobody's counting. We're not keeping score, okay? And, and, and listen, sometimes a sheep falls in a pit, right? It's your Sabbath day, and a friend calls you at work, and a project they were working on is on the edge of collapse, and they need your help, and you're like, will you come in and help me with this project? Okay, so sometimes a sheep falls in a pit, and you say, all right, it's always a good day to do something good. Yeah, I can go help a friend out. I can go get a little work done today. I wasn't planning on it. That wasn't the plan, but a sheep fell in a pit, so I, I got to do that. And, and sometimes we'll even go through seasons, won't we? All right, we'll go through a six-week stretch where there's a sheep falling in a pit everywhere we turn around. Like, it's a whole village full of sheep and pits. Like, what's up? And I want to be clear, if you've got a season like that, okay. If you've got a day like that, I'm with you. No legalism, no judgment here. On the other hand, if every time you try to take a day and dedicate it to God, your cell phone beeps, and you're like, oh no, there's a sheep in a pit at work, i got to work today. If that's happening every day, then maybe you should spend Tuesday afternoon filling in pits and corralling the sheep so you can actually dedicate a day to God. See what I'm saying? If it happens once or twice, we're avoiding legalism. Let your, okay, that happened. But if it happens all the time, at some point you have fallen into disobedience, right? Does that, you see what I'm saying? You, you've actually stopped obeying the command of God to, to rest, to rest. And that is the last thing I want to challenge you to is to embrace obedience. For Christians, Sabbath keeping is no longer a law, but it remains a gift, an invitation of God, which we are asked to obey. And some of you declaring a Sabbath would be for you to take a stand against pride. To take a stand against self-sufficiency and say, I'm going to trust God to finish the work that I couldn't get done in six days. Obedience in Sabbath keeping is hard. I know it is. For a lot of us, the cell phone is what makes it so hard to, to rest from our labor. Because we carry our whole job in our back pocket. And everybody else around us knows it. And so at any moment that we can find, we, you know, we're getting emails. Another sheep fell in a pit. Another sheep fell in a pit. You know, everywhere we look, sheep in pits. We've got to go do something about all the pits and the sheep. And, and, and we're, we're doing it. We're doing it. And pretty soon, we're like, that was not a Sabbath. That was not a day set apart, you know. 
And, and it's not just your job. You know what your toil is. You know, maybe your toil is your professional job, or maybe it's keeping the house clean, or maybe it's your community service projects, or maybe it's your leadership in some organization. You, you know what your toil is, and you got six days for it, and God will finish that work. But one day, embrace obedience. Embrace obedience. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm, I'm gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And I just want to say, if you are living a pattern of life that does not include a day made sacred for the Lord, Dedicated to worship and rest and renewal and family and forgiveness and peace and pardon. If, if, you're not, if you're living without that rhythm, then you're living under a different yoke. Because that isn't how Jesus organized his week. And, and for some of us, to embrace obedience to God, we need to declare a Sabbath. And if right now you have a pattern of life that does not allow you to declare a Sabbath, like you couldn't take a day off and make it all about Jesus if you wanted to, and you just can't do it, you can't let the work sit for even one minute, you know, you can't let the house stay dirty for five hours to worship, or you can't let that email go unanswered for even, even an hour so that you can just focus on Jesus. If that's the place you've gotten to, then with all gentleness, I just want you to say, I want you to notice that you have gotten into a habit of spiritual disobedience, okay? If you've gotten to a pattern where you never can set the work down and give worship and rest your undivided attention, then you have gotten into a pattern of spiritual disobedience. It could be caused by pride. It could be caused by fear. It because, could be because you didn't know any better. Maybe you thought you were supposed to work seven days a week, 24 hours a day. You thought that was the, the good, the thing you were supposed to do. And, and you're hearing all this for the first time. Okay, well, now you know that pattern is actually a pattern of disobedience, not a pattern of health. Don't beat yourself up. Just repent. That's what Jesus wants us to do when we recognize we've been spiritually disobedient. He doesn't want us to mope about it. He died on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. So relax. And then start obeying Jesus. I bring this all up with, with total humility and compassion. I'm trying to bring this up as gently as I can. Because this is an area where I am frequently disobedient. And I want you to be gentle with me. So I'm trying to be gentle with you. Over the last 40 years, I easily fall into seasons where I regularly, I can go for a long stretch and never take a day off from the toil of my life. I mean, I go to church, of course, I'm there every week, but you all might not know this, this is actually a work day for me. I know, awkward as it is to say, I'm actually on the clock right now. Like, I'm billing this time, right this minute. Like, I am, like, this is going to go on my timesheet. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is billable hours right here, okay? So this isn't my Sabbath. And in fact, it can be so easy to think that I'm so important 
and everybody needs me. And look, there's a sheep in a pit across town. I better go get the sheep out of a pit. And people text me. Like, oh, I get text messages all the time. Ethan, did you know a sheep just fell in a pit? I just got, saw on Facebook that another sheep fell in a pit. And if I'm not careful, every time I've said was dedicated to God, instead it's me off getting sheep out of pits. And when I do that, here's the crazy thing. I want you to know, when I do that, I get compliments from people. And what they don't know is that they're, they're actually tempting me to not trust God and instead trust myself. And the same thing is true for you. There are people ready to compliment you for breaking the Sabbath. There are people who will give you praise. They will reward you and celebrate you for ignoring a time dedicated to God. Now, I want to be clear. When a sheep legitimately falls in a pit, don't you say, sorry, neighbor, I can't help you. My preacher said I'm supposed to take a day off. No, no, don't blame me. And don't blame Jesus. Because Jesus says when a sheep falls in a pit, when you have a chance to do good, you go do good. Come on, just do good. Don't be a legalist. Don't ignore the clear command of God. Last fall, I can't remember, late November, early December, we were in an elders meeting, and the, the rhythm of our elder meetings, some meetings are mostly business, and some meetings are mostly Bible study, and some meetings are a mix. And this is one of our Bible study meetings, and we were reading the book of James together, and um, we read this passage. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning. That it is, stop chuckling at your sinfulness, but instead weep about it. Change your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. We read this text together, we broke up into small groups, and we were sharing and praying for one another. We were talking about what were some of the areas of disobedience in our life where we knew we needed to submit more fully to Jesus. And as we were praying together, I just knew, uh, for me, we were in a busy season. We still are in a really busy season here at the church, and I felt like I had a lot on my plate, and I was responding to the busyness by just working my little tail off, you know, and uh, getting up early and going to bed late and working Saturdays and working Mondays. And, um, and, I, and I was getting a lot of people giving compliments for it, like, way to go, Ethan, you're amazing, you're amazing. I want you to you know, feel free to tell me that. Uh, my email address, email address is emagnus at fcc-jc.org if you want to tell me I'm amazing. Um, but but the, real, the real fact is, is that I was in rebellion against God. That's the real fact. I was pretending like what my work really needed was me doing more of it. When what God's word teaches is what my work really needs is me trusting God. And, you know, one or two times a sheep falls in a pit, that's going to make sense, you know. But I hadn't taken a day off in weeks, and, and so I, my, I did. My laughter turned to mourning, and I was praying with a couple of our elders, and I just said... I've got to keep a Sabbath. I am in disobedience to God right now. I have to keep a Sabbath. And um, 
It's been seven weeks uh, since then, and, and I've kept a Sabbath uh, seven weeks in a row, um, which I know isn't impressive, but for me is. And that's kind of this where I am with this, is that that's actually doing pretty good for me to keep seven Sabbaths in a row. And, and I tell you that story um, just because I want you to know how to respond when you're disobedient. It, it's that easy. Turn your laughter into mourning. Humble yourself, and he will lift you up. Some of you, the way you need to respond obediently is you need to work six days. You need to ask God, God, what good can I do in the world? Let's go do some good. Uh, And you've drifted into idleness, okay? So be obedient. Some of you, though, the way you need to be obedient is you need to declare a day holy. I don't care what day. Maybe you're like, Ethan, I can only figure out how to do it for 18 hours. Fine. Don't you dare turn me into a legalist, okay? That's not going to happen. But set aside a chunk of time. Say, this is for worship. This is for rest. This is for laughter. This is for beauty. This is for forgiveness and pardon and mercy and love. That's what this day is for. It's a new year. Let's try an old calendar and see if it makes a difference. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we want to be obedient to you and we hear your instruction here so very clearly. We hear you say, yay, work. And we want to work trusting you to finish the good work you've given us to do. And we hear you say, yay, rest. And so, God, maybe even this moment right now, would you make this moment a moment of rest where we can just give you our undivided attention and worship you and praise you right now in this moment? And then would you let that be an invitation to a rhythm of weekly rest, a sacred day, just as you command us to keep. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.